Good morning, church. Once again, we've heard the announcement, but let me just emphasize next week being Easter Sunday, we're going to have three worship services. I'm so excited. We're going to worship together in the sanctuary at 839, 45, and 11. And we have no child care the first hour. And the second two hours, we have child care from birth until the day they turn three. And after that, it's a free-for-all. So just uh, up to age three, and that's going to be next Sunday. As we approach Easter, this is Holy Week. Um, just been thinking about this. So let me ask you to, to do this this week. If you're a follower of Christ and you worship here, especially if you're a member of this church, uh, spend at least 15 minutes a day reflecting on the glory of the cross and the empty tomb as you read the Gospels. Just read a Gospel, especially Mark. Mark, read chapter 831 to on the end uh, deals with that. But think about the glory of the cross and the empty tomb and speak to one person that you think is unchurched and just say, I'm, I'm praying for you or Say, do you want to go to church with me? So that's just one person this week. Everybody here, one person that you will pray for. I, frequently when we go out to eat, this is, I've done this for years, uh, the server will be there and they've served the food. And I'll say, before you leave, we're getting ready to ask the Lord to bless our food. Is there anything we can pray for you regarding your life right now? I have never been turned down, ever. Not once has somebody said, oh, keep your prayers yourself. I mean, yeah, man, pray, pray for this and it really kind of, oh, so I just think just showing concern for people is a great thing that we can do during Holy Week as we reflect upon the greatness of Christ. Today, we're going to enter into the wonder and the mystery of the cross on this Palm Sunday. We're going to enter into the, the, the incredible mysterious and glory and power of the cross. In the Gospel of Luke, in Luke 9 and verse 22, um, it says this. Uh, it says that, and he strictly charged them to tell no one this saying. He says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Very clear. Same chapter, something we refer to as the transfiguration. Jesus goes up on a mountain with three of his men, and as he's on the mountaintop, Moses and Elijah from the Old Testament come down from heaven, and they have a discussion, and this is what it says. Now about eight days after this statement, he took with him Peter and James and John, and he went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Speaking of his departure is, 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 is shorthand for speaking of the passion, the betrayal, the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection, the teaching, the ascension into heaven. So they're, they're speaking to Jesus, Moses and Elijah about 
the coming passion that would take place as he was crucified for our sins and rose from the dead. Because the hope of the Old Testament saints who had the sacrificial system that foresignified the coming of Christ, their hope would be realized by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, so it, it's, it's just... It's, it's such a central, binding, glorious motif of the Scripture. Or you go on to Luke chapter 11, verse 29 and 30, that says this. When the crowds were increasing, Jesus began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah from the Old Testament, who was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. For as Jonah became assigned to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Behold the glory of the cross. And so we come to the cross and we come to this, the night of his betrayal. Listen to Luke 22, verse 39 and following speaks of of this reality. Now, now, Christ would often go out and spend, the Bible says, spend nights in prayer, in silence, in communion with his Father, and his soul was refreshed. He was given fresh courage as he contemplated the greatness of his calling and the fact that, that he was doing the will of the Father. So, so prayer was refreshing. It was invigorating. It was courage-building. But on this night, that did not happen. So listen, listen. This is chapter 22, verse 39 and following. He came and he went out, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, one of his prayer retreat centers. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. One gospel says he repeatedly threw himself upon the ground. He said, this cup that I've been called to drink, if at all possible, Father, remove this cup from me. Martin Luther wrote a pamphlet on this. Martin Luther, the reformer who died in 1546. And Luther said, I have seen many men in my life face death, but never have I seen a man fear and dread death like Jesus did in Gethsemane. And he says, Luther says, the reason why is because the cup that he would drink would be the cup the, of judgment that should fall upon us, but fell upon him. That in 
a moment on the cross when Jesus cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, there was a separation between the Father and the Son that had never existed in all of the eternity of time. As Jesus bore our sins in his body, that's why he said, sweat drops of blood. He, he, he wasn't unhinged because of the suffering that would come, and the crucifixion was a horrible death. He wasn't unhinged because his friends would desert him, which is a horrible experience. He, he wasn't unhinged because of the mocking and the catcalls and the spitting that he would endure, which was horrible enough. He was unhinged because he would drink the cup of judgment that should fall upon us from the bottom. And so, so it's, it's, it is an incredible thing to think about. So once again, from the beginning of time, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and what we call the, the, the counsel or the covenant of redemption, determined that in the fullness of time, God the Son would become a man and live a perfect life and die on the cross for our sins. It is a wild story. And that God in his mercy would choose a tribe of people called the Jews. And he would give them a sacrificial system of lambs that were slain, of blood sacrifice that foresignified the ultimate reality of what Jesus would do on the cross. Because by his one death upon the cross, God in the flesh, Jesus, fulfilled all the demands of the sacrificial system and he drank the cup of judgment that should fall upon us. That's why Galatians 4 says that in the fullness of time, God was born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that'd be us, the, those who deserve judgment, so that we might become the children of God. So this is what happened on the cross. And, and so today... I think of Romans 8.32. This says, verse 31 says, what can we say in response to all of these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? We leave this at our salvation. And then he says this in verse 32, the first part. It's crystal clear logic. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. He, he didn't spare his own son. Or 2 Corinthians 5, 21. This says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He drank the cup from the bottom. So this morning, I'm going to go to an Old Testament passage, a, a psalm written by David. I'm going to give you three quick points. It's Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 is a psalm that mirrors an experience that David had. But on the cross, Jesus quotes Psalm 22 and applies it to him, the fulfillment of the promise to David that someone would always sit upon the throne. He is the fulfillment of David in David's line. And, and so while David experienced an episode in his life that reflects this, Jesus fulfills it. He drank the cup from the bottom. Psalm 22, I'm going to just read a few verses. It starts with, 
two of the most mournful verses in all the Bible. Listen. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy and thrown on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried, and they were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm. I'm not a man. I'm scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads and they say, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Verse 12, many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan. And they surround me. They open wide their mouths at me and like ravening and roaring lion. And I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, a clay pot. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust. For dogs encompass me and a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. So I'm going to three points today about this passage. Number one is this. Because Jesus was forsaken, those of you who have trusted Christ and his work upon the cross for your sin, because Jesus was forsaken, you will never be forsaken. Because Jesus drank the judgment cup from the bottom, the dregs, you will never be forsaken. The book of Hebrews, New Testament says this in verse 28, therefore let us be grateful for we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with, with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. So, so, so why are we grateful? We're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Why is it not shaken? Hebrews 12 verse 2, we look to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, see, joy, endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The, the, the joy set before him because he was redeeming his people. By his one sacrifice, he was redeeming his people, but he despised the shame. He despised the separation. But, but, but because of that great act, we'll never be forsaken. And we receive in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Therefore, one of the applications is in the next chapter, verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 5, that says this, keep your life free from the love of money and, and, be, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, think about this. Keep your life free of the love of blank. It says money here, so money's part of it. It could be popularity, it could be, it could be academic success, it could be economic viability, it could be anything. Keep your life free from love of blank. Why? 
Because God who's given you a kingdom that cannot be shaken has promised you, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Let me tell you this morning, this makes my heart sing. If you have come to Christ by faith, if he died on the cross for your sins, if he drank down the cup of judgment on the cross that you deserved, you'll never be forsaken. You'll never be cast out, ever. One of my favorite movies is The Count of Monte Cristo. It's 2000, based upon a book I haven't read by a guy named Alexander Dumas. And, but it's the story of a guy that's falsely accused. He goes to prison. He miraculously escapes after being mentored by a, a Renaissance man who knew how to do sword fighting. And, and he gets out and he washes up on a beach. And lo and behold, there's a group of smugglers there. And, uh, and the guy says, that the chief smuggler says, well, you're part of a sport for us. We've got this guy over here, Jacoba. And Jacoba has, uh, Jack, you know, Jacoba, there he is. So, Count of Monte Cristo, Jim Cavaliza, I can't say his name well, and then Jacoba. Anyway, we're going we're gonna to put him to death, but since you're here, we'll let you guys fight to the death as sport. And, and whoever survives, survives, but whoever dies, dies. And so they, they have this fight. And Edward Dantes has become a, a master knife fighter. And so he fights this guy and he holds him down. He plunges his knife in the ground and he says, don't move. And he looks at the head smuggler who becomes his friend. And he said, if you let him live, you'll have two guys working for you instead of one. And I promise we'll work hard. And the guy says, Sounds good to me, so he lets him live. And as, and as Jacob is laying on the ground, he says, he says, listen to me. It's a great line, listen to me. He says this, I swear on the dead, I'll swear on my dead relatives and even on those who are not feeling good, <laughs> I am your man forever. And as the story unfolds, they find incredible riches buried and then he becomes, Edward Dantes becomes the most wealthy man in all of Europe, and he's consumed with revenge, and his friend, who is his man forever, keeps saying, don't let revenge eat your spirit. Don't do this. Don't do that. And he's, I mean, he's the best of friends. But let me tell you, let me say, even the best of friends can either let you down or die. There are many people here who have been married a long time to wonderful people. And, and one of the things that just causes me sometimes to just take my breath in sorrow is one day either I'll bury Sarah or she'll bury me. It's not forever. It's glorious, but it's not forever. But this passage says there is a forever king who is your friend, who is your sacrifice, who is your Lord, and his name is Jesus. And I say, I say on the basis of the authority of the word of God, if you've trusted in Jesus, you will never be cast out. You'll never cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus cried that on the cross. Point two. If you trust in this, if you trusted in this Christ who died on the cross for your sin, you will never be shamed. Verse six says, I'm a worm, not a man. I'm scorned by mankind. I'm, I'm despised by people. I, I, I have uh, people mock me. They belittle me. They, they, they make light of me. Uh, they wag their heads at me. They say, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him. 
Let him rescue him for, for he delights in him. It's just reminiscent of Matthew chapter 27 and verse 40 where the, the, the people going by said, you know, you, you said you'd you, you, you destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself if you're the son of God. Come on down from the cross. And I thought, I thought about this. The one thing that just amazes me is, is they spit in the face of Jesus. They spit in the face of the one who spoke the worlds into being. They spit in his face. They mocked him. They, they put a crown on his brow. They, 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 they hit him. Shamed him. And so I, 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 think, about, I think about the fact that, listen, part of not being shamed is the fact that you are made in the image of God. Every person here. Even the people that spat in the face of Jesus made in the image of God. The men that smacked him made in the image of God. The people that mocked him. The high priest that tore his clothes as, as the representative of, all Ju of Judaism tore his clothes because Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh, tore his clothes in abject horror and pain made in the image of God. So, so when I pick up the paper and I read about, about a fire this week, so, 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 I saw a fire this week among the Rohingya people in one of their main camps where tens of thousands of people who were living in cardboard boxes and tents were burned out of their little home that they had. My heart breaks because those people are worthy of respect and Christian love because they're made in the image of God. And so if you can just reflect upon, no shame, made in the image of God. But if you really want to get in the no shame zone, think about being redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Not only are you made in the image of God, but you're saved by his blood. So, like for example, 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter's writing about the glory of this, and he says this. He says, um, he says you are a chosen race, an elect people, chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God. Amazing. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you weren't even a people, you Gentile believers. Once you weren't even, I'm not really a people, you're just a hodgepodge. But now you're the people of God. You're no longer a Greek or barbarian. You're now the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received the mercy of the cross. And so, so I, I say, no shame. And yet, listen, you know this more than I do. We live in a culture of shame. We have, we have body shaming. We have education shaming. We have financial shaming. We have body mass index shaming. We have ethnicity shaming. And you answer that by saying, I'm a child of God. I even saw this week that Johns Hopkins released a survey that found that 42% of the population agreed with the following statement. Quote, people who get COVID-19 have behaved irresponsibly, close quote. So there's COVID-19 shaming. 
All types of shaming. And so while we talk about, oh, you know, we're all, we're, we're all, you know, we're just, we're not, we're, we're, we're against cyberbullying and we're against bullying. Yeah, we kind of sort of are. But let me tell you something. The world you live in bases your worth on a meritocracy of where you live, what you drive, how much you make, where you went to school, and how you look. And don't you ever forget it if you're in the world. So where do you go to combat shame? I say the cross. You see, on my worst hour of my worst day of this year, and I've had some bad days and some bad hours, Jesus loves me. The Father's embrace is there. It's just amazing to me. I give a psalm to all my grandkids. And so I, we have a grandchild that's coming and I, I said, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get the, psalm, the psalm for this grandchild is gonna be Psalm 27, which is a great psalm. Uh, it's, it's about the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom then shall I fear. But, but in, in the middle of the psalm, and I've told the parents, I said, you know, just, just forget verses nine and 10. But listen, in the midst of the celebration of, of Psalm, this is what it says. Um, so it says, hide your face from my sin, or, or hide not your face from me, excuse me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Then this verse, for my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. I said, don't, 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 don't fulfill that for, our, for my granddaughter, I mean. But the, the, the point is that even, even, even if my mom and my dad who love me tenderly forsake me, the Lord will always take me in. And, and David says this with a very dim view of the glory of Jesus. He knew it was coming, but he didn't see it. Man, we see it. Shame. No shame. And th thirdly, this is that there's never any despairing. You're, you're never ultimately overwhelmed. Because Romans 8, 32 and he who did not spare his own son, but fruity gave him up for us all, will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Hmm. How do you know that God is faithful? The cross. He didn't spare his own son. How do you know that God is going to see you to the finish line? The cross. And in this passage, he, said, there, he says, I'm surrounded by, by strong bulls of Bashan. He said, I'm, I'm surrounded by people like roaring lions who want to tear me to death. I'm surrounded by packs of ravenous dogs. I'm, I'm surrounded by wild oxen who want to gore me to death. But God watches over me. We're going to go through trials. We live in a fallen world. But there's a poem by a guy named James Russell Lowell that says that, that, that truth forever on the scaffold, error forever on the throne, but behind all these things standeth God who watches or his own. I don't even think Lowell's a Christian, but boy, he wrote a beautiful poem. God watches over us. This is what happened to us a couple years ago when we were in Tunisia, and I had the chance to be with some at a regional seminary and speak, and Sarah and I were there together, and so one afternoon, as the sun had just set, and it was right before the evening meal, it was dark as January, because it got dark early, we went for a walk and outside of, tu of Tunis, the capital, and there was a, uh, as we walked, there was a, a broad avenue that was well lit, and there was a guard shack there, but there was no guard in it. I thought, well, let's go down this 
this, uh, this, little, this street, Broad Avenue, and there was a shepherdess over here with about 20 sheep, and it was very pastoral looking. It was a lovely night. People were very gracious, and so we, we start down there, and I look up, and I see a pack of dogs about 100 yards that way. I think, hmm, I don't see packs of dogs around here a lot. So without telling Sarah what I saw, because I didn't want her, I said, let's, let's turn around and go back. So we turned around. I glanced. They're charging toward us. And uh, I said, Sarah, keep on walking. Do not run. I'm going to try to defend her, whatever. I, I know what I was going to do. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to try to be a man here and do the right thing. And, and there, there's no tree to climb. There's no car to jump up on. There's no rocks. There's just field. And so these, about nine dogs, eight or nine dogs, I didn't really count and named them Dasher and Prancer and Vixen and Common and Cubit. But they, they surrounded me. Hackles raised, barking ferociously. They're, Sarah's slowly moving away. She's just terrified. And, and I'm screaming. I'm acting like I'm taking rocks and throwing them because there's no rocks to throw. I'm just, you know, I, my, adre- I, my adrenaline was pumping. I mean, I'm just like, and these are big dogs. And so there seems to be an alpha dog. He keeps inching closer. So I tried to kick him in the nose to discourage him. I missed him. He backed up and they kept coming. And then after I did that, three or four broke over and they surrounded my wife and they were doing that. And she was holding up her hands because they, would, they wouldn't bite her hands. I mean, it was bad. And then all of a sudden they left. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if an angel called them. I don't know if there, there was a guard there and he, pulled out a dog whistle that I couldn't hear and they called them, but they left. But I thought about that a thousand times reading Psalm 22. I mean, we were surrounded by, by, by ravenous dogs and it was a scary experience. And I'm a Citadel graduate. I don't scare very easily. <laughs> it, was, it was terrible. I mean, it was terrifying. And, um, and, and yet the, the, the confidence is that there is even in a situation like that, there is a God who watches over his children, who cares for his children. And we can trust him. And so part of the cross is you're never despairingly overwhelmed, even with dogs surrounding you, or even with wild bulls, or even with roaring lions. So we're in COVID. Hopefully, we're seeing in the rearview mirror. But I, I'm, I'm, I've been reading a lot about people that say they're going to wear face masks forever. I am not one of those people. Let me just say that. And um, that's their business. But, but I'm reading about people that says even after everybody's vaccinated, we still are going to quarantine for a, a long time to make sure that this is, you know. And I'm, Really, my heart breaks for those people. My heart, my, my heart breaks when I read about people that haven't seen anybody for, for over a year now. The Wall Street Journal this week, a number of people haven't seen anybody other than the delivery man at a distance for over a year. But that is a sad place to be. And I, I, I'm arguing that we get back to normal as soon as we can, as soon as it's, as soon as it's health accessible. But because I need people. And I'm not, Without being catty, let me tell you something that I think nobody here will, will contradict. You 
are going to die of something. Unless Jesus comes again before you die and takes you home. You're going to die of something. And I, I don't want to hasten that day. I wear seatbelts. I, I don't eat too much hot sauce. I, I try to be careful, you know. But, but, but the glory of Easter is the empty tomb takes away the fear of death. Do you hear that? Now, if I'm not a believer and I think when I die, I don't know why in the world is going to happen. And, and I may either be snuffed out like a candle or come back into the life form or I may do this. I mean, that, that, that's, yeah. You know what? If I die today, I am in the presence of a living God in the place of incredible joy that can't even be described. Hebrews 2 says this, verse 14. Again, never despairing. Verse 2, verse 14 says this, that, that he says, since, since then the children are sharing flesh and blood, see, he himself, Jesus, also partook of the same that through death, Jesus' death, he might render powerless him who had the keys to fear and death. <laughs> that is the devil. And, and delivered all those who were subject to the fear of death to a lifelong type of slavery. How did he do this? He became like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and high priest in the service of God because he made propitiation for their sins. He covered their sins by his blood on the cross as our substitute. Therefore, there's hope. Therefore, there's joy. I was reading this week about a guy named William Hunter. He lived in England in 15, he died in 1554. But then from 1553 to 1558, there was a queen in England called Mary who hated the gospel. And anybody that didn't believe or line up with her was persona non grata. And she died in, or she was out in 1558. And then somebody named Elizabeth I was there from 1558 to 1603. And again, Elizabeth II has been there even longer. But anyway. She was there for five years, and she killed, had up to 400 to 500 preachers or teachers of the gospel murdered, burned at the stake, drowned. Uh, one, he was a young guy named William Hunter. He was, the guy was 18, 19 years old. He found a Bible. He was given a Bible. He starts reading the Bible. He comes to know Jesus died on the cross for his sins. He starts a Bible reading group in his neighborhood. He's not trained. He's just reading the Bible, and they're talking about Jesus. And he's in church when they're reading the Bible, and the priest comes in and says, what are you reading? He says, I'm reading the Bible. And he says, you can't read the Bible on your own. I said, well, I am. He says, you can't. Because you're going to misinterpret it. You, got, you can't read the Bible. I've got to interpret it for you. And he says, you know, I don't. I don't, I don't believe that. I believe you can read the Bible. And, and the priest ran out of the church in, in, in anger and reported him. And so this is a 19-year-old kid. And so 12 times in the next nine months, he's, they take him from his house, bring him before the local magistrate and said, are you still reading the Bible and reading to people in your home? And he said, yes. You got to quit doing it. He says, I can't quit doing it. I'm called to represent Christ. So after the 12th time, they said, are you still reading the Bible? 12 times in nine months. 
knock at the door. May they come to rest me again. Let's go. So they get in the, you know, the, the ox cart and go. So after the, after the 12th time, they said, we're going to put you in prison. And if you don't recant, we're going to put you to death. And he said, okay, they put him in prison. The day of his execution came. He's 20 years old now. He's 20 years old. Been a Christian a year and a half. William Hunter. And they, they, they take him out and they chain him. They take him to this place where there's a stake with lots of firewood around it. And the sheriff steps up and he says, I have a letter here from the queen to all heretics that if you recant of your teaching and agree to quit teaching the gospel as you see it, then your life will be spared. He's 20 years old. He's 20. And William Hunter says, I I can't do it. I don't know about you. I'd be thinking, well, you know, eh, maybe. Fire's hot. I don't think, you know. And they, as, they, as they lead him to burn him by the stake, he, he looks at his father. His father's standing there weeping. And he says, Father, do not weep because it will be very soon when you and I meet in the land where joy will never end. <laughs> and then he takes his Bible and he tosses it to his brother and says, Brother, stay strong in the faith. And as they chain him, he says, May I be a light of the gospel to this generation. And he's dead. Courage? Why? There is a land awaiting father, brother, friend, that is glorious and wonderful because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And because of that, there is no fear of ever being ultimately overwhelmed or driven to the point of despairing beyond hope. So, Thanks be to God for the glory of the gospel of grace. Thanks be to God for the mercy of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, as we stop to just pray, we ask that you would give us a fresh understanding of how Psalm 22 was embraced by the Lord Christ. Therefore, we will never be forsaken. Therefore, we will never be mocked, ultimately. And, to, and we'll never buy the lie of saying that our worth is based upon our merit or our standing in our culture or our education or our ethnicity or our college degree or this or that. Our standing is in Jesus. Therefore, we will never be ultimately despairing. Lord, we, we, we struggle at times. I mean, we're struck down, but we're never, ever, ever abandoned. So working us this week, I, I pray that there would be a movement in our homes and in our community to Christ. That in times of moral upheaval because of a pandemic, in time of, of political upheaval and back and forth and that, that, that your church would stand with strength and dignity and brokenness and love. I pray this week we would speak to someone and just say, well, I'm praying for you. This is Holy Week. This coming Sunday is Easter Sunday. And I'm praying for you. I just want you to know, thanks for being a friend. Or, or invite them or bring them. But Lord, let us be people who speak. Let us be people who contemplate and change us in Jesus' name. Amen.